Let's start at the beginning. What causes erectile dysfunction? ED is defined as an inability to achieve or maintain an erection sufficient for intercourse. So there's some ambiguity around that. Patients will say, well, I can able to get an erection, but I just can't keep an erection for satisfactory intercourse. Well, that does qualify as ED. And sometimes we'll say a patient has partial ED or complete ED, complete ED being patient is unable to get an erection whatsoever, um, but they all fall under the umbrella of, erect- of erectile dysfunction. So uh, the causes of ED are, are typically relate to inadequate blood flow to the penis, and it could originate from a number of different sources. Um, it could be due to the arterioles that supply the penis themselves. It could be due to the nerves uh, that also supply the, the, uh, the penis. Um, commonly, we see erectile dysfunction in patients that are post-pelvic uh, or prostate surgery. So if a patient has been treated for prostate cancer and they've had either their prostate removed or they've been treated with radiation therapy, the nerves that supply the penis are affected with either one of those uh, modalities of treatment. And of course, the blood supply is also affected. So in those patients, they'll be hit sort of on both domains. Alternatively, if a patient does not have any history of being treated with surgery or radiation to the area, you can have improper blood flow secondary to diabetes, high blood pressure. Oftentimes, medications themselves will cause ED. We see that commonly in the population that's being treated for uh, cardiac disease. Additionally, we see um, psychogenic ED in a younger population, and that can relate to uh, simply fear of performing. So can it be treated? You know, what I tell my patients, and, and I mean this wholeheartedly, is that erectile dysfunction is completely treatable. It just depends on how they want to go about treating it. We initially start with medical therapy, so we start with medications, which have been around since the 90s that work very well. Those are the PD-5 inhibitors like Viagra, Cialis, Levitra, Stendra, Staxton. Um, those medical therapies are effective in about 75% of patients that try them initially. For the 25% of patients that are refractory to the medications, there's a whole host of options that are available. Uh, they include injection therapy, something called a vacuum erectile device. And from a surgical standpoint, there is a penile implant, which sounds daunting and a little obscure, but in fact, it's been around since 1975. It's a well-proven method. It has the highest patient satisfaction rates uh, for any patient that has uh, erectile dysfunction that's refractory to medication. What about those medications? What are the problems with taking them? The medications are very well tolerated, but of course there are side effects that we get worried about. Um, The most common side effect for the medications would be headache, flushing. You can get some palpitations. Some patients will describe a a visual disturbance. Looking at a white wall might appear blue. They're all transient. It goes away once the medication wears off, and the half-life of the medication varies depending on which medication you choose. In other words, for Viagra, those side effects might persist for up to four to eight hours. For Cialis, they could last a little bit longer. Some of the newer agents, they last uh, a lot shorter. So those are the general side effects. The important thing that I tell patients for the most part is that they're all transient. They all go away relatively quickly, and we'll have a very good idea whether a patient will have a, a bad side effect or something that they don't wish to tolerate only after trying the medication one or two times. So the big question honestly is how common is ED? That does vary by age but um, there's some pretty startling statistics out there. 
40% of men age 40 and nearly 70% of men age 70 are somewhat afflicted by ED. Complete ED is seen in 15% of the patients that are age 70 and above. Does that make sense? It's a weird statistic, but they're saying basically 40% of men age 40 identified as struggling with erectile dysfunction. Is age a factor? Age itself is is certainly associated with ED, and, and that, that's there's good level one data to support that as we get older, the incidence of ED certainly does uh, worsen. Um, but in and of itself, age is typically not a factor. It has to do more so with as we get older, we have the other associated comorbidities, so the other associated problems like you know, being put on more medications, um, having high blood pressure, and, and how that would affect the, the blood flow to the penis. Any other issues surrounding ED that we should understand? We recently identified erectile dysfunction as a, uh, a marker for potential cardiovascular disease. So it's now, if you have a patient that has erectile dysfunction, they should be identified as someone that is going to likely have cardiovascular disease within three to five years. It's as strong as uh, that patient being a smoker, that patient having a family member with with a heart attack at a young age, or they themselves suffering from a cardiac event. So erectile dysfunction is something that we can use to identify patients that are at risk for cardiovascular disease. It predates cardiovascular disease by about three to five years. It's like a canary in a coal mine scenario. Why that happens, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. The, the arteries that supply the penis are about one millimeter in diameter. The arteries that supply the heart, they're called the coronary arteries. They're three millimeters in diameter on average. Atherosclerosis is a systemic illness. It'll affect every artery in the body. So the smaller arteries are the ones that are likely to show disease before the larger arteries. So if you take an organ, that's an end organ, has one arterial blood supply to it, and you injure that artery, that organ is going to be damaged before the larger, wider arteries to the heart. So it's an interesting phenomenon. And this is fairly recent. About three years ago, we, we kind of were able to identify this, that erectile dysfunction, it'll be defined by improper arterial blood flow to the penis, secondary to atherosclerosis or any other systemic you know, illness, hypertension, um, prior to cardiovascular disease. Now let's switch gears. Urinary incontinence is a big issue for women. It affects men too, right? That's correct, yes. For men that, particularly the male population that's been treated for prostate cancer. So we look at the two uh, most common modalities for treating prostate cancer, which include surgery or radiation, sometimes the combination thereof. But either one of those therapies has stress urinary incontinence, meaning leakage of urine when you cough, sneeze, laugh, pick up something heavy, as a possible side effect of those treatments. Um, and we typically don't think about men having incontinence because apart from this population, it is quite rare for men to have uh, to suffer from urinary incontinence. And that has to do with the fact that men have uh, a, a prostate, which helps keeps, keeps us continent. And additionally, the urethra is much longer, about 23 centimeters in men compared to two centimeters in women. So it's not really a common issue for men. 
It's very common um, post-prostate cancer treatment, um, but in that population, it, it is certainly the most bothersome symptom that we see. And I think it comes down to it's, it's very – it's rare for men. It's not something that we're comfortable with. Um, women seem to tolerate it better because – have no choice. <laughs> yeah, well, we don't tolerate. Yeah. We have no choice. <laughs> um, for for a man to wear a sanitary pad, to wear uh, some a protective uh, a layer, it, it's it's a, it's such a foreign concept for us, and it weighs wears on our psyche very tremendously. Um, it is one of the most uh, debilitating side effects that we see from prostate cancer treatment. And it might not have to do so much with a functional standpoint, but more from a psychological standpoint and how it affects uh, our ability to cope post-treatment. And does it resolve? Certainly it is treatable. And the way that we work to, to treat incontinence begins with conservative pelvic floor therapy exercises. And typically speaking, um, the urologist should be able to inform a patient how to do that or refer a patient to a pelvic floor therapy specialist. Um, after conservative measures have failed, there are, of course, additional options which are, are surgical in nature. There's two surgical procedures that we offer. One is a male sling and the other is what's called an artificial urinary male, uh, I'm sorry, an artificial urinary sphincter. Thanks so much for the information, Dr. Bickle.